it was a pretty good Christmas present for them and hopefully for the next four years of that agreement they'll keep enjoying, uh, keep enjoying Christmas this time of year because they're not far off their second pay rise now. Yes, it's one year since Christmas came early for members at Bogabri Coal. A few weeks shy of Christmas last year, members set a new standard for working conditions in the Gunnedah Basin. And you can really hear the Christmas cheer in the voice of Jeff Drayton there, Northern Mining and New South Wales Energy Vice President. Fantastic win, as I say. It just shows what you can do when you hang in there, when you stick together. Bogabri Lodge Secretary Dave Boxall is also happy about what they achieved this time last year. I'm feeling pretty good. There's a real sense of achievement about what we did. Uh, there was a real sense of camaraderie as well uh, between crew and crew. People really came together and looked out for each other. It was good. In this episode, we'll look back at the Battle of Bogabri and find out their tips and tricks for winning a blue. You're listening to the CFMEU Mining and Energy Podcast. In the winter of 2019, things were grim at Bogabri Coal. Negotiations had broken down with owner Itamitsu, industrial action became necessary and four months of rolling stoppages began. Dave Boxall remembers it was a pretty hard winter. In the dark days, it was pretty bad. Uh, there was not a lot of um, respect from the company at all about what we were doing or yeah, our legal right to do it sort of thing. They were pretty down on that. It wasn't good, uh, but we stuck it out. And, um, yeah, we just knew what we had to do when we did it. Jeff Drayton remembers the dirty tricks. It was a pretty dirty fight. When I say a dirty fight, you know, the company tried all sorts of tricks. They offered payments, so anyone who stayed at work, there was some, there's some, some uh, non-union people who, uh, who, who worked. When I say some, I'm, I'm not sure how many. I think there's four or five on each of the four crews. Um, so there wasn't many. They did have some contractors there as well. But what they done was offered... Uh, any of our members who decided to go back to work while while everyone else was on strike, if you come back to work, they would pay you double time for every hour you worked, um, and that was including all the non-union people that are at work. So they would pay you the they would pay you everyone the double time, which was just a ridiculous approach by the company. I mean, all all members were saying, "Well, geez, we should be able to get our wages. Money mustn't be a problem." You know, if you're prepared to pay people double time to be here just so they won't take action. Bogabri member Lisa Richardson remembers when the mine owner put propaganda in local papers to try and turn the community against local miners. The company put in the local paper a full page advert saying a vote yes to the Bogabri Coal EA and it was pretty low because they published all our figures um, in the paper so every single member of our community thought they knew what we were getting paid for and that that's what the only thing we were fighting for. And that figure included things like our bonus, our overtime, our superannuation, none of which my bank account sees. So yeah, it was pretty demoralizing to have a community think that that's what's actually happening. Yes, it got pretty tough for a few months there in mid 2019, but let's just rewind a little. How did this dispute get so heated? Jeff Drayton explains. Had managed and and run the whole place, the entire site, for, for years and years. We'd we'd managed to negotiate. I say we, the union, managed to negotiate a couple of agreements with Downer, and they were pretty reasonable agreements. Uh, in uh, late seventeen, early eighteen, late seventeen, Idamitsu decided that uh, they no longer wanted Downer there, and they contracted a a company called BGC. They're a company from the west who understand have a 
been in coal much before, if they'd been in coal at all. Uh, so BGC arrived, they did the changeover. What happened though, BGC arrived with an agreement um, that was, oh, to say it was substandard, would be would be over overrating it. It was a terrible agreement. Um, it delivered, you know, um, well under a hundred thousand. That's which is in the, in the industry, you know, they're not not real good wages for a seven day seven day roster person. So uh, the union opposed the the uh, approval of that agreement, and we won. So all of a sudden, they've got a contractor there in BGC with no way of employing any uh, any employees. So they haven't, they haven't got any contract of employment for the employees. So what Itamitsu done was they used a labour hire contractor in one key. So one key come in, they did employ them permanently. They weren't employed as casuals, employed them permanently on a one key agreement. Now, the money they offered <coughs> was uh, similar to the money for an agreement they already had there in the in the prep plant. So they offered that similar money and uh, but the conditions were, were far inferior to what, what uh, members had enjoyed through Downer. So uh, during that process, they decided that, uh, Mitsu decided that it was becoming all too difficult and they decided to employ uh, all, all our production people, to employ those production people uh, directly, which meant uh, negotiating uh, an enterprise agreement. So uh, that's where it all started, when we started negotiating an agreement uh, directly with the mine owner, Itamitsu. So it was pretty messy. But by mid-2019, at least the two parties were negotiating. But even that started to get messy. We'd been negotiating for quite some, say, quite some time, so a few months. Difficult negotiations. The company changed their bargaining team a couple of times. So I'll say, when I say changed their team, you know, we had myself and then we had representatives from right across the workforce, you know, one from each crew, each section of the mine. We'd picked our team to negotiate, and you need that continuity while you're negotiating. But the, the company, uh, on a couple of occasions, changed their changed the people. So they had uh, initially they had the manager there who uh, was heading negotiations for them. Then they moved. They he moved on or was moved on. I'm not sure. And they put another manager in there, and it was really really difficult uh, to negotiate. You know, no, we we don't agree to this anymore because the last fellow that was sitting in the chair he said it, not me. So. So yeah, it started to become uh, started to become quite messy. They introduced then someone from offsite doesn't work within a Mitsu, and that was probably the, the final spanner in the works. Eventually, the Bogabri Lodge members had had enough. So they just had enough. So it was a decision was made by the lodge. When I say the lodge, the lodge has some three hundred and fifty members in it. We had a vote made decision that we wanted to uh, we had to do something different. We just seemed to be going around in circles. That's when we applied for the protected action ballot. You just apply to the Fair Work Commission. The Fair Work Commission uh, approve you to conduct a ballot. The ballot's then conducted. It's conducted, obviously, externally from the CFMU and the company. Um, the Australian Electoral Commission run the run the ballot. I understand that ballot might have got up about 349 to 1, something like that. So it was pretty overwhelming. Um, it was up over 99% of people were prepared to take, uh, to take action. We then have to notify. You've got to give the company two working days. So in two days, this is the action that we might take. We get to those, we get to the day, and we either decide whether we want to take action or we don't take action. You're not required if you, you notify, but um, we didn't take action every time we'd notified. But uh, certainly, we um, we took action uh, more often than not. Would be fair to say, on more shifts, we we might not have taken it for the whole twelve hours. We might have only went for two or four hours of one shift, and then we go back to work, and then we, you know, the next shift or two shifts later, it might be another 
six hours in that shift. So it was a bit sporadic, it was a bit all over the place. But it seemed to work for us, um, worked quite well. We did have a couple of stoppages, uh, 48 hour stoppages. So we had the stoppages to, uh, that was to talk to all members together. So we had meetings uh, in town in Gunnada, the sport table in town where we could get all of our members together in one spot at one time. And of course that was just to give them some report backs about where we were and also uh, get some more direction on, uh, on where we're headed. Members took protected action from August right through to November. These were difficult and uncertain times. Lisa Richardson says in those dark days, it was fellow workers, often people from different crews she had never met, that motivated her to keep going with the industrial action. I remember driving to work. So it's the middle of winter, it's cold, you're stressed, you've lost pay. Driving in past our picket line, the previous crew was still there. They had their banners. They were cheering us on the next crew who they don't have to work with and they didn't have to still be there. But they stayed till 6am in the morning to cheer us on to go to work. And you just had that support from other crews, from these people you have never met before. And it was just, you felt a sense of pride driving into work going, we can do this as a team. And Lisa did her best to return the favour. Just as a sense of mateship, I guess, like barbecues were a big thing and to do a cook-up. And I remember one of the other crews, um, an opposite crew, I was on a day off and I knew that they were going to be having a cook-up and a barbecue. So, you know, I went in that little bit earlier to fire it up. So they got to arrive to their picket line with the smell of a barbecue already cooking. So immediately there was that sense of relief and yeah, it was awesome. Around the negotiating table, things were getting dire. It seemed there would be no breakthrough. It appeared to us that the people around the table for the company just weren't, we just weren't going to get to the end point. We then let the company know that, and the company then uh, used, yeah, the, well, I understand he's probably the most, certainly the most senior uh, person within Inamitsu that resides in Australia anyway. So um, they're a Japanese company, as I understand it. He got involved um, himself and myself and uh, my boss as well so the, the, uh, we sat down over a couple of me- couple of meetings and uh, we ended up coming up with something that was the lodge were prepared to um, pre- prepared to accept leading into that the company had twice put the agreement out to vote without without any approval from from the representatives um, when I say approval the company don't need our approval to put it out but when I say we didn't support the agreement um, and it got voted down twice I understand both times by well up over over 95%. So it was pretty clear that members weren't prepared to accept what they were offered. So all the nail-biting, hard work and frustration was over. So what did members and the company agree to? There ended up being 25 changes to the document, uh, all up. So considerable amount of conditions were added. So all the all leave was, uh, is now, was now paid as if it worked. Accident pay was increased, so your, your workers' comp payment was, uh, was also increased. They had a bonus system in there, and we'd been we'd been arguing about this bonus system, you know, week in week out. Um, our position was we thought the company could manipulate it. So uh, what happened with the bonus system? It's now it's now just paid as a fixed as a fixed bonus. They really have no measures they have to meet anymore. It was a twelve percent pay rise over four years, uh, so three percent per year, and uh, and a sign on bonus as well. So um, yeah, there was a number of other conditions uh, added as well. So it. It took us a long time, a long time with a lot of heartache, but uh, eventually we, uh, eventually we got there. So those members now enjoy, well, 
you know, what I say, the wages and conditions um, that, that they deserve. One, one of the issues, uh, certainly one of the, the issues that the company relied on, um, they kept they kept relying on was, oh, but you're in the Gunnedah Basin, you know, th this is the wages in the Gunnedah Basin. Well, we refused to accept that, just to say, just because you're in the Gunnedah Basin, what does that mean? You get paid less than a, you know, less than the coal miners you employ in the Hunter Valley or less than the coal miners you employ in Queensland. So we didn't accept that exploration and kept going and got there in the end. So 12% over four years, a $4,000 sign-on bonus and parity with the conditions of members in the nearby Hunter Valley. Lisa explains the two conditions they won she's most proud of. I was really excited to see that we had our leave paid as if worked and our training clause put in the EA. So with our pay, when we were sick and took sick leave, our penalties weren't paid. So there were times when you would lose a couple of thousand dollars in one pay just by having a few sick days, which, you know, it's an added stress you don't want when you are physically ill. And with the training, it's super excited because you're not just stuck in one piece of machinery. We have the ability to put our hand up when we're fatigued or boredom sets in to put our hand up and go, can I hop out of this truck and operate another piece of machinery so we can operate a water cart or a dozer or a loader, depending on what skills you've been approved for. Lisa has a lot of love for the delegates on site. I would love to thank our union reps. The job that they do for us, it's amazing. They don't get any extra pay. They don't get any extra benefits for it, but they did so much extra work on behalf of every single member we have on site. Bogabri Lodge Secretary David Boxall says there are some simple lessons members across the country can take from the Bogabri Lodge. I think the lesson you can learn from what we achieved was that nothing's going to come easy to you. You're going to have to fight for it. We're in a situation where companies are trying to save money wherever they can and the first place they look quite often is towards us, the wages and the rights of the worker. You've really got to stick together though. You've got to look out for each other. Listen to your lodge officials. They know what's going on, they know what to do, they've done this before. And just, yeah, follow their lead and stick with it, don't back down. You've got to stick with it, it won't be an easy fight. Jeff also sees sticking together as key to getting a good result. They just stuck together. We weren't kidding ourselves that everyone was comfortable with it, but we just had to support people through it, and uh, that's what we've done. They're, they're, they're a pretty tight bunch at Bogabroy. That, that lodge is a, is a pretty tight bunch, and they've come out, you know, they've come out the back of it you know, pretty strong and quite large. Remember, too, it's some 350 members. So, yeah, they, they stuck together. They hung in there. And they trusted each other. And uh, they come out with a, uh, with a pretty good deal. Of course, one year on, there's still issues at Bogabri. But Dave Boxall is circumspect. Things now are pretty good. There's a few discrepancies about how to read the agreement between employees and management at the moment, but we're working on that to sort that out. Uh, in general, though, we feel like we're back where we should be in terms of our agreement. Yeah, so we're um, just going day by day at the moment. I guess we'll see what happens in a few years' time when it comes around again. There you go, the Battle of Bogabri. This is the CFMEU Mining and Energy Podcast. Be sure to find us on the Apple Podcast app or Spotify and subscribe so you get every episode delivered hot and fresh to your phone. I'm Tim Brunero. We'll catch you on the next episode.